Thank you for joining us today and a big thank you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. Karen and I have been trialing their designs for a few months and we can happily recommend them. All designs are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Activewear, please use our listeners special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at amazingjane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Ouch, shin splints. As the title of our episode suggests, shin splints can be very sore, and it's something that many runners suffer throughout their running careers. So we thought that we'd talk to you today about what shin splints actually are, discuss the risk factors in the development of shin splints and look at some nutritional and lifestyle changes that you can do to help avoid developing shin splints in the future. Hello and welcome to She Runs, Eats, Performs, the podcast for female runners of all abilities. Please join Karen Campbell and Aileen Smith, nutritionists, friends and runners, who are here to help you translate sports nutritional science into easy to apply tips and plans, helping you enjoy peak running performance. And especially adding in the female factors every woman needs to know to be a healthy runner. The suggestions we make during this episode are for a guidance and advice only, and are not a substitute for medical advice or treatment. If you have any concerns regarding your health, please contact your healthcare professional for advice as soon as possible. If you'd like help from Karen and Ailey to design a personalised sports nutrition plan for your running, please contact them at Runners Health Hub. I'm Aileen and I'm here as with Karen as always. Hi everybody, nice to see you all again. So today, as always, we're going to share something personal with you about our nutritional running before we move on to discuss our topic for today, which is focusing on shin splints, which I know is something that a lot of people experience. So Karen, um, as the uh, the title of the episode suggests, which is, ouch, I've got, I've got shin splints, um, they can be, um, you know, incredibly um, sore. This is something that you've ever suffered from. Yes, Aileen, I have to say I have. Um, and you're absolutely right. They are incredibly painful. And um, I, I have no idea what it was. I had no idea what it was initially, actually, when when they started to I started to feel the pain. I just thought that my shin was hurting for some reason. But the pain started to get worse and worse. And I thought, well, I need to investigate this. So that led me to consult Dr. Google. And once I sort of recognized what I thought it could be I then sort of consulted the sports injury specialist that I use often actually and she then confirmed what it was and put me on a on a recovery program which did unfortunately involve some time out of running which I wasn't really happy about at all but I did know that it would be beneficial in the in the long term and it was you know the 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 therapy that she gave me and the um, exercises and everything really helped and thankfully I haven't actually experienced them again and uh, thank goodness because it is so sore but how about you Aileen is this something that you've suffered from? 
Well, I was going to say no, but I think way back in history, you know, when I was a beginner runner, it maybe was something that I had. Fortunately, it wasn't anything that was prolonged. Um, I've had lots of other niggling injuries um, over the years, though. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's it's always good to learn about how to prevent injuries. So I think prevention of shin splints is sort of what I'm hoping to learn from you today. Yeah. yeah. So uh, so it'll be great to talk about it. So let's move on and, and get started, Karen. Yeah. Um, so we know it's a condition that many r- runners um, can identify with, uh, but maybe they don't know the background. Um, so today we're going to start by defining what shin splints are and give you a better understanding of the condition. And then we're going to move on to discuss the risk factors for the development of shin splints, which is probably what I'm most interested in. And then uh, finally, we'll look at some nutrition and lifestyle changes, which will help avoid the development of shin splints. So let's get started, Karen. What what would you, how would you describe shin um, shin splints. It's a bit of a tongue twister, isn't it? It is. It is a bit. Yes, I'm sure we'll tumble over our words a few times during this episode, Aileen. Um, but the medical term actually for shin splints is medial tibial stress syndrome, which is a bit of a tongue twister as well. And um, and the tibia being what is commonly known as the shin the shin bone. And the American Medical Association defines this medial tibial stress syndrome as pain and discomfort comfort in the leg from repetitive running on hard surfaces or forcible excessive use of the foot flexors. Now, these foot flexors are the muscles that are located along the top of the foot, sort of stretching down towards the toes. Now, shin splints are thought, or these medial tibial stress syndrome, this is thought to be exercise induced and cause pain along what is known as the posteromedial tibial border and and with that you get this pain being felt on the inside of the shin at the lower end actually of the shin so so towards the foot and um and these shin splints are thought to be caused by this repetitive loading stress during running and jumping and then provoked again on, on pressing. And when you press on it, the pain can generally be felt over a length of about five centimetres. So quite significant area of, of pain. Um, but, but more recently, there's another proposed terminology for this um, condition called tibial periostitis medial or just simply periostitis when you read the literature quite often it's just referred to as this periostitis now it was the scientists Bruckner and Kahn who proposed this name really because they felt it better described the inflammatory aspect of the condition because it is thought that internally um, there's there's chronic inflammation of the muscular attachment along the posterior media tibia, which is known as the the periosteum. And this this inflammation occurs alongside some bony changes, which then lead to the onset and the progression of the pain that an individual is going to experience. Wow, so quite a lot going on there. And um, I like the name, you know, that you mentioned there, the periostitis, because 
whenever we think of a word ending in itis, it, it is related to inflammation. So I think it's a good way of um, identifying what's going on, particularly for us when we're always looking at the root cause. Um, so as you say, um, this is caused by repetitive loading through running and jumping. Um, so is there anything else that you can t- talk to us about the um, the cause of shin splints, Karen? Yeah, so interestingly, although the pain is felt on the inside of the shin area, the actual dysfunction associated with them is generally linked to the anterior or posterior tibialis. Now, the tibialis being um, any of the several muscles and tendons in the calf area that's associated with movement of the foot. So this tibialis is just like a collective name for all these different muscles and tendons. And as we know that the 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 calf area and the foot are very, very intricate and have got lots of different muscles and tendons. So that's the collective name for it. And also, in addition to that, the, there's also thought to be tightness of the triceps suri. Now, these are a pair of muscles that are located in the calf. They've got nothing to do with the triceps um, of the arm because when we think triceps, we think mm. the arm, don't we? So this triceps suri is something completely different. And um, and this sort of tightness of the triceps suri is commonly linked to shin splints. And what can occur is that some runners may have weakness of the triceps suri, making them prone to muscle fatigue. And this fatigue can then lead to altered running mechanics, which is then putting a strain on the tibia. And that's potentially what's causing the microtrauma of the tibia. Now, microtrauma is natural. We'll speak about that a little later on. It is natural and helps sort of um, with bone density. But when the microtrauma goes beyond um, the, the, the capabilities of the bone and that natural turnover, that's when it then becomes an issue. Mm, interesting. Mm. Um, yeah, it just shows how intricately, intricre- in- intricre- I can't even say my words. Intricately. <laughs> the, the leg and the foot, there's a lot going on, basically. Isn't and we take it all for granted, don't we? I always say this, you know, runners, we just on our feet all the time and we just don't appreciate our feet as much as we should do mm-hmm. um, and the effect that they can have in other parts of the body. I agree with that. So, so Karen, what about the prevalence of shin splints in runners? Uh, is it a high prevalence? Well, in, in in athletes generally, the prevalence is thought to be be between 4% and 19%. But looking at runners specifically, the prevalence is thought to be between 13.6% to 20% of them um, experiencing shin splints at some point in their sort of run, running life. Um, and it is thought to be more prevalent in the sort of middle to long distance runners, but also in sprinters. And in fact, it is thought that um, shin splints are the most common musculoskeletal injury amongst that particular demographic. So really interesting. Yeah, so fairly prevalent. Mm. Um, and as we've already mentioned, pain is really the key symptom. And, you know, I think if anybody's experienced it, it is really 
a lot of discomfort and you know you're taking me really back to a situation where I did experience it Karen so I am remembering how horrible it was Mm. um and you certainly once you've had it you wouldn't want it to be repeated um so that you know with pain being the main uh, key symptom are there any other symptoms that a runner may experience that could suggest either the onset or the progression of, of shin splints Yes, absolutely, Aileen. Like you say, pain is that key symptom. Um, and, and actually thinking about the pain, it may just be a dull pain of the shin area initially, which is is really generally what the runner might ignore because it just feels like this dull pain. And I think that's what was happening for me. It's this dull pain. It'll sort itself out. It's fine. I'll carry on and just hope that it would disappear. Um, but if it isn't addressed, the pain then will become more severe and more debilitating. And initially, the pain may just be felt at the beginning of the run and then disappear as the run progresses, but it will then reappear following exercise. But then as the shin splints begin to worsen, if they're not addressed, the pain will begin to persist during the run and actually for several hours afterwards. So, um so, you know, pain is, it, it, take note, I think, of what I'm saying here is just take note of any pain, any shin pain, because mm. it could be the start of shin splints progressing. Yeah, yeah, that's really good advice, I think, because uh, mm. we're all very good at ignoring things and think they'll go away, but actually they never really go away. They're just mm-hmm. setting themselves up for something else, aren't they? Yeah. So, um, okay, Karen, so just before we, we talk about any additional symptoms I just wanted to highlight that um, if shin splints aren't acknowledged and addressed then that might also lead to a stress fracture of the the tibia Uh, and that's occurring because as as you mentioned earlier there are bony changes and that microtrauma to the tibia um, which could occur is linked to the inflammatory process of the condition and as we know once a stress fracture occurs it does mean significant more time for recovery and time away from running. So you definitely do not want that to happen. And, um, you know, for all the reasons that we've already said, just tune into your body. Anything that you notice is, is different, you need to get it checked out. Um, so, Karen, can we can we look on now at some of the other symptoms that you alluded to earlier? Yeah, absolutely. A couple of other um, symptoms I think that would be important to look out for are sort of mild edema, so fluid collecting around that painful area. Now, this isn't always present. It isn't always a symptom, but definitely something to be looking out for. And also tenderness in the area when it's pressed, which um, really can be felt for several days following the run. If it's not if it's not a shin splint, then it might that the pain on pressing might alleviate sooner. But if you're still feeling that tenderness for a, a several days afterwards, then just bear that in mind that it could be um, the beginning of shin splints. But what I would also like to highlight here is that shin pain might not um, be caused by shin splints. You know, it could be linked to some other condition. So like you were saying, Aileen, it's always important to get it checked out and get it checked out by a professional, be it a GP or a physio or some other musculoskeletal expert. There's lots of them out there because there are so many different um, 
possible conditions that present with the shin pain. And I'm thinking here of the likes of sciatica. Now, that clearly would be referred pain um, due to the, the, the sciatic nerve pain. Also, potentially deep vein thrombosis. Now, clearly medical intervention would be imperative here. So just be mindful of that. Uh, muscle strain could be, it could be an infection that is just sort of building up or it could be a trapped nerve. So all of these, um, and these are just some of the conditions, there are, there are more, but all of these will present with shin pain. So definitely um, worth having the pain checked out, just really to determine the true cause. Mm, okay, great, Karen. So, so far, we've determined that the shin splints are really an overuse or overloading condition, and that can be caused by repetitive running leading to an inflammatory response. Um, the principal symptom is pain, and that can be severe and long-lasting if the condition is not addressed at the onset. Uh, and also, we need to bear in mind that the condition could lead, could could progress over time if you, as a runner, don't take enough time to rest the legs and treat the inflammation. And, and ultimately, it could lead to a stress fracture, which is obviously a much more serious and concerning injury. So, um, you know, it's something that could progress and we need to uh, nip it in the bud and, and make sure that it doesn't develop. I think it's the, the main message. Mm. So, so, Karen, um, we've looked at the potential causes of shin splints, but are there any specific risk factors in the development of this condition? Yes, there are, Aileen. And as always, um, when we do these things, generally the risk factors um, are, are divided into two and some which are within our control and others that tend to be outside of our control. So, yeah, there's definitely a lot of risk factors there. Okay, well, let's let's divide those then into, um, you know, the two different areas. So could you start telling us a bit about the, the risk factors that are non-modifiable, so the ones that are outside of our control? Yeah, sure. So I'm thinking here initially of age. Clearly, that is way out of our control, unfortunately. And older runners um, are thought to be more susceptible to shin splints than than younger people. And also sex as well. It's it's thought that it to be more prevalent in women than in men. Height seems to be implicated there as well. And also um, hyperpronation. So that pronation of the foot either inwards or outwards. And I'm sure we've all seen runners, and I am one myself, where they pronate. So, and you can see that in their gait and the way that they run. And then there's something known as the navicular drop. Now, this is linked to sort of the, the foot arch and the height of the foot arch, which then affects that foot pronation. And it's suggested that a navicular drop, so that's sort of from the the arch of the foot down to the to the ground um, and if that drop is greater than 10 millimeters it's thought to nearly double the likelihood of developing shin splints and um because this increased arch height um, may result in a reduced absorption of the ground forces, which is really interesting concept. And also um, individuals with this in increased navicular drop may be at increased uh, risk of, of shin splints because 
there's a decrease in um, sort of the tibial rotation. So thinking about that bone rotation, which is thought to be an important factor in absorbing impact forces. So that's the link there. Uh, but also other other possibilities are joint laxity, so really loose joints. And some people do have more hyperflexible joints than others and looser joints for whatever reason. And also strength of imbalance between the flexors and the extensors of the foot. So these are all areas that may be or risk factors um, that may be implicated. Well, that's really interesting because I've got, I think I might have a high navicular drop. So I'm going to get my measuring tape out and check that. Um, I must apologise. There's an alarm going off. I don't know whether you can hear it, Karen, can you? Yeah. I'm going to go and switch it off. So if you just uh, give me a second, I'll be back with you. Absolutely. No problem. So, everyone, uh, just while um, Aileen comes back to join us, it would maybe be interesting to sort of just think about, like Aileen was saying, she's wondering about her navicular drop. How deep is it? So it's maybe something to think about. Maybe go and speak to a professional and and look at that and um, and see if that's leading to overpronation for you, which may sort of put you at increased risk of um, a stress fracture, or maybe it could be implicated in, in potential other injuries that you are experiencing or have experienced in the past. So, um, so definitely something to consider. I'm back but- now, Karen. <laughs> <laughs> I do apologise for that. The reason I've got an alarm on my phone, everybody, is it's um, we're recording at, at 10 in the morning and I've been following um, a time-restricted eating plan. So I've been trying to have my breakfast at 10. So I'll put a, a reminder on. Today I actually had an early breakfast because I knew that Karen and I were working together and I totally forgot about the, the alarm going off. And even though my phone's on silent, the alarm obviously still comes through. Yeah. So bear that in mind for the next time. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. But Aileen, that is a good tip, you know, for anybody, a practical tip for anybody else who's um, following a, a, a sort of restricted eating window, then, um, you know, t- to remind you to eat and when to eat, setting an alarm is a really good, a really good tip. So thank oh, you, Aileen. That's just an addition to the, to the um, episode. Yeah, glad to help. Okay, so um, we, we've talked about um, those well, some of the key non-modifiable factors. So th- there was a few others that um, came to mind, Karen. So yeah. I'll just um, mention those. So um, I think you, we talked about loose joints earlier. So obviously the, the opposite of that is you might have tight joints and you might or you might be hyper flexible. So you, you've got to, you know, it's all about having balance, I think, with um, with flexibility and not being over tight or, or over flexible. Um, also having um, a consideration to your your sporting skill and your coordination. Now, I think this might be something that could be potentially modifiable during um, training and coaching. But often, particularly when people are either beginner runners or they're moving from one level of running distance to another, 
then it might be advisable to just get your gait checked and your technique checked to make sure that you know you're doing it in an efficient manner and it's not going to cause any stress or strain Um, particularly thinking about this extra you know if you're going to go for longer distances more frequently that's going to be something that you need to check that you're you're running in the right way to support you Um, another sort of uh, non-modifiable one is some people have different leg lengths so you might have an uneven leg length and that's um you know again potentially going to see a podiatrist uh and checking that and making sure that you're using the correct orthotics or specialist running shoes can help support that area um if you've got a previous history of shin splints i mean fortunately in my history i can only think of once did you have it more than once karen is it no i've only had it once as well aileen so you know it's 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 it is a risk factor having them before but i suppose it's about taking into account the modifiable factors that we're going to discuss in a minute and and putting them in place to prevent it happening again yeah and then, you know, there might be other physiological factors, um, things that you, you mentioned um, earlier as, alongside things like the motion, the range of motion that you've got in your hip and your ankle, and, and that could impact on your running mechanics. Um, I, last summer, I don't know whether you remember, I had um, plantar fasciitis and, mm. I, and it was really, really painful. And I, I went to see a podiatrist after doing so much myself and it not really working. And um, she did a really interesting uh, thing where she photographed me standing um, and it showed um, that I was just a little bit out of alignment. So I was like one side of my body, my shoulders and my back were slightly higher than the other. Mm. And um she, that was one of the, the contributory factors to um, my problem. And I got some orthotics fitted. And then when she fitted them and took the photograph, immediately I was back in alignment. It was really interesting. Um, and there's a debate about whether you should use orthotics permanently or not. I mean, I, I've used them quite consistently to to make sure my problem was resolved yeah. now I use them intermittently mm-hmm. um, so I know there's lots of this controversy different people have different yeah. opinions about whether you should use orthotics or not but yeah. it was just an interesting observation that I had that I hadn't realized that I was slightly out of alignment until mm-hmm. she pointed it out so yeah. you know doing corrective exercises and thinking about your posture is going to be really helpful and it can be small tweaks that make all the difference but it's being aware of the fact that you're out of balance or over or whatever it may be so yeah. yeah and I think that's why you know we always recommend when you buy new running shoes to check you get your gait checked because it does mm-hmm. change and things like having an injury can change you um without you realizing so I often hear friends say oh well I just buy all my running shoes online but I'm always very conscious about I don't really want to do that I'd like to get checked every time I buy a pair of running shoes because I don't know what's changed from the last time um interestingly the podiatrist said now that I've got the orthotics I should always just have a neutral shoe because the orthotics will correct anything um so anyway it's uh, I think you know know your local expert and and trust them to give you the right advice that's what I'm saying Yeah. Um, yeah and then just finally um thinking about 
weather conditions you know if it's too hot or too cold that could flex that could impact on the flexibility of muscles and joints so um just something to bear in mind so those are the what we would say are the they're sort of semi-modifiable you know you can modify them Um, but Karen could you give us an outline of some of the modifiable risk factors what you can actually um deal with the things that are within your control and therefore be changed yes absolutely alien and the the one that springs to mind immediately is sort of weight so overweight being overweight or obese um, because what happens is and I alluded to this earlier sort of during running the tibia does bend and bow as a response to activity which causes micro trauma now this is okay as i said and is natural and also necessary to sort of strengthen and build and adapt the bone but where an individual is say overweight or obese it could be that the load exceeds the micro trauma threshold of the tibia and that's what results in shin splints so an individuals who um are overweight or obese, I think it's really important to be thinking about modifying training, really just to allow for a progressive increase in activity, which could decrease the likelihood of these shin splints occurring. Um, because a steady increase in intensity during running really allows the tibia to adapt properly. So really thinking about a walk-run approach to training when first beginning, I think would be a really would be really beneficial and a, a great way of set. And I think a lot of people are aware of that now. And there's, you know, there's the couch to 5K um, training plans and things. And that's all sort of looking at walking, running and then building up. And I think that's a really appropriate way of of um, starting out your your um, your running journey. And then also still sort of thinking about um, weight linked to body fat. So having a high fat to to muscle ratio may also put you at increased risk of um, getting um, shin splints. And also your fitness level it is thought, and I think you maybe said this earlier, Aileen, that beginners are more prone to shin splints than um, more experienced uh, runners. But it could also be um, it could also happen to more experienced runners linked to sort of sports related factors, sort of thinking about maybe running too fast for your potential potential, making some training errors. And that's why I think sometimes having a a training coach can be really helpful and also a sudden increase in training. So we're speaking about the beginners and maybe not just going straight into running and not doing walk running but for people who are decent runners but they want to um increase their their um distance they might just do that immediately and not build up and that could be regarding distance intensity and endurance um and yeah and duration so um again could put them at increased risk so that's why a training plan i think is really really crucial really important you Aileen would you add anything else here Um, well yeah I was thinking again back to you know my beginner running days and probably that was around the time that I did have shin splints and I I was about 30 pounds overweight at that point um so you know that that much lighter now so I'm sure that did have an effect 
And, you know, when I started running, there wasn't things like, you know, 5K, coach to 5K, it was unheard of, really. (laughs) You just went out and did it without really, um, you know, it was just, you did it. So I, I, you know, I did work with a personal trainer at the time, so I'm sure he helped, but um, it wasn't, you know, there wasn't everything that we have today. You didn't go and get your gait measured or anything like that. So Mm -hmm. it's, it's just great that there's so much so many resources out there for runners now so mm, mm, yeah okay. so the other things just to that um you know you were saying I've got anything to add uh, that we might think are within our control um that we could adapt our training around would be um you know if, if you're tired if you've got fatigue for whatever reason either poor sleep or stress adjust your training plan um you might want to consider what type of running you're doing and what running terrain that you're, you're, you're on. So, you know, things like road running might be actually adding to your stress load when it comes to, um, you know, leading up to having shin splints or, or holding you in a place where you've got pain from shin splints. Uh, we've talked a bit about shoes, so making sure you've got the right shoes and that they've got the right um sort of shock absorption capacity um thinking about your diet which i'm sure we're going to talk about in a little bit karen um, but making sure that you've got um, an optimal healthy food plan but also with an anti-inflammatory approach which is going to be really important and, and also thinking about your vitamin d status and your calcium status which again i know we're going to talk about later on um so so Karen, we've, we've sort of identified some factors that could um, help us address prevention of shin splints. Um, but I just wondered, and I think you mentioned a couple of female factors, but are there any other female factors that we should be considering here? Yes, absolutely, Alien. And like I, I like you say, I did mention um, a minute ago is that women are more susceptible to shin splints and also stress fractures, actually, than men. And um, the reasons why women are more susceptible to them have not really been fully determined yet. Um, however, it is thought that it may possibly be due to um, women experiencing more hormonal fluctuations. And we know that there's a lot of um, hormonal fluctuations around menopausal time. And we also said earlier that age is a factor as well in shin splints. So that all kind of connects together. And also it's thought that women experience more biomechanical abnormalities. Now, I don't know why that would be, but, um, but that is thought to be Um, a factor here and also um, women tend to have different running kinematics now kinematics are the effects on joints of running especially thinking about the ankle the knee and the hip joints so um, they have women have different um, running kinematics to men and that seems to be to make them more susceptible to um, the shin splints also female nutrition is a factor here because it's thought um, Um, that there's an increase in prevalence of shin splints due to the fact that more females tend to suffer from disordered eating and eating disorders. Um, Although 
you know, I have to say this wasn't actually confirmed in the lit- literature that I read, but the, the information was alluding to this. And also um, women could be more prone to overstriding, especially if they're training with men. And I think I, I would really agree with that. And um, I've had some hamstring issues recently and I'm sure it's because I'm trying to keep up with the men in the running group and I've just recently joined this running group and um and and this this sort of hamstring issue has just started recently and I'm sure it's linked to potentially me overstriding because I want to try and keep up with them mm. and it this was actually suggested um in a study looking at naval recruits where again women and men are training together so they were thinking that 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 could be a factor there for for females so so that's just a few factors um i really i think for us women to be considering when thinking about shin splints and shin splint prevention and in a minute we're going to look at some of the nutritional and lifestyle changes that we could make to to help to prevent this condition um developing but but before we do that alien shall we just take a quick advert break here Yeah, sure, Karen. So this is the the point of the episode where Karen and I take a minute just to uh, share with you some of the things that we do outside of the podcast. Um, So one of the things we just wanted to say was a big thank you to everybody who voted for us in the Quill Podcast Awards. We were finalists in the Best health podcast so we were absolutely delighted with that uh, unfortunately we didn't win but congratulations to the the winners i think it was uh, sleep mums mm-hmm. um, so they were the uh, the podcast that won but we were really delighted that so many people voted for us so we just wanted to say a quick thank you to you we really do appreciate that you listen to us every week and uh your champion in us it really helps us keeps us motivated um but back to what we do outside of the podcast um you know as you know karen and i are just like you we're busy working women we run for health fitness achievement and fun and uh over the years even as nutritional therapists we have our own personal running performance struggles and we've mentioned a few of them in today's episode um but we we've learned to resolve those struggles with um building a foundational everyday eating plan, but fine-tuning our eating plan with sports nutrition principles. And that really helps us uh, maximise running performance and minimise injury. Uh, And we turned um, all of our food plans and expertise into an online programme called Easy Nutrition for Healthy Runners. And if you're you're a regular listener, you'll know all about the the programme. But it's basically a short and sweet video programme. You can complete it in 30 minutes a day over two weeks. Or you can take as long as you you need to. Some people prefer to to spread the videos and the action plans um, over a longer period. And you can go backwards and forwards and dip into the resources as you need them. So if you've been listening today and thinking, yeah, you know, I want to um, make sure that I'm injury free and I think nutrition can help me. well, you might want to have a look at the program and we'd love for you to to join us. So um, it's, it's a, as I say, a great program to start uh, getting your food plan in shape. Um, there's lots of uh, information and easy action steps. Karen and I are all about doing things the easy way. So if you're interested, you can find all the details at uh, our website, which is runnershealthhub.com. If you look at the top menu bar, Uh, find online program and you'll find all the details there and if you've got any questions please email us at hello at runnershealthhub.com and we'll be really happy to answer them 
Great. Thanks, Aileen. So let's now move on and think about some nutrition and lifestyle factors to to really to help prevent shin splints occurring. And what I would say is for anybody who hasn't ever experienced shin splints, I would really suggest having some foot analysis and gait analysis completed as a preventative measure. And that's what you were speaking about earlier, Aileen. I would really agree with that. And you were saying each time you get your new shoes, you um, have some gait analysis completed. And I think that's a really great um, preventative measure to put in place. I do have my gait done um but I wouldn't say it's as regular as you're doing it. And you've made me sort of think that I actually need to have it done. And next time I go to get new shoes, I think I will just sort of, because I do wear orthotics. But again, like you were saying, things change. So the orthotics may change as well. So um, so definitely important to to have that foot and gait analysis done and, and have it done in a very fairly regular basis and and you know like we've been saying many specialist running shops do have the machines now which will complete that gait analysis or you could go and see um, a podiatrist like Aileen spoke about earlier um, but these gait analysis um, machines can um, are, are, are pretty good these days and it can then help you to choose the correct running shoes for your running style. So so thinking about whether you overpronate, be it inwards or outwards, you'll be able to choose the correct shoe depending on what the results are of the analysis. And also um, what I would say here is when purchasing um, running shoes, choose ones that are appropriate for your running terrain. You know, we do all tend to run on on a, a particular type of, of terrain, I think, on a regular training. You know, so I'm thinking here, do you run mostly on the road? Are you on trails? Is it really rocky ground? Or maybe even sand if you live by the sea. So, And I think that your shoes could make a big difference um, to your running mechanics. Uh, and as we've also, dis- as, as we've discussed, you know, those biomechanics of the running can influence the development of the shin splints. So, definitely worth sort of looking at your shoes and are you wearing the right shoes for your biomechanics yeah that's a really good point so um and making sure that you you swap your shoes to support the terrain you know if you're somebody mm-hmm. who does a mix that you've got a variety of different shoes and you swap them um and i think uh, you know another important point to address is body composition and i know lots of runners are really conscious of that um and you know they run to manage their weight um so it's important that, um, you know, we do it in the right way, as you, you said earlier, Karen. And uh, we've talked about the impact of weight on lower wind. So it's an appropriate, make sure you've got an appropriate weight for your height and um, making sure that's what you're, you're aiming for. Um, so and another sort of modifiable link um for female factors um, is is obviously nutrition, and we, we talked um, about energy availability and making sure that's appropriate energy availability. So that's um, you know in layman's terms, it's making sure that you're eating enough and you're eating the right foods, and that will be really key to injury prevention uh, and any kind of injury, actually, not just uh, shin splints. And we we do discuss this in a lot of detail in episode fifty four, which is titled 
eating enough to run. Um, and we've had a lot of good feedback on that. And it was lovely to hear um, somebody in our Facebook group saying, you've really changed my mindset on this. And um, that was really uh, important to hear that. Mm. Um, so I, as I say, if that's of interest to you, then I recommend you listen to that episode um, and get some really helpful information there. Um, and also, you know, we, we always recommend that, um, you know, you take professional um, expert help um, working with a nutritional therapist. So somebody like Karen and I, we'd be able to help you establish a correct eating and nutrition plan to make sure that you're consuming enough energy to fuel and support your training um, and make sure that you're reducing that risk of developing shin splints or any other injury. Yeah, absolutely, Elaine. I think that's a really good point. And, you know, I think working with various different professionals is, is a really um, good preventative measure for lots of different um, injuries and concerns for runners. And just on the subject of nutrition, the two two nutrients that have been most studied in connection with shin splints and stress fractures, actually, are vitamin D and calcium, which um, you mentioned earlier, Aileen, as a, as a modifiable factor. Um, and we have discussed many times the importance of vitamin D for bone health, um, linking it to um, inadequate vitamin D resulting in increased bone turnover, potentially accelerated bone loss and increased fracture risk. And sort of as as changes to bone are implicated in shin splints, then clearly optimal vitamin D levels would be recommended. And also vitamin D is required, as we all know, for the absorption and the utilisation of calcium, which again, we all know is paramount for bone health. So if our vitamin D levels are compromised, so will our calcium levels be limited. So really important to have those two um, in in balance and at optimal levels. And actually one case study um, research paper that I was reading was looking at stress fracture on on a female runner and she was a marathon runner, and it it showed improved status following um, supplementation of vitamin D using 2,000 um, international units of vitamin D and then 1,500 milligrams of calcium daily. Now, they, this, this particular case study, um, they found that the pain from the stress fracture had actually resolved after six weeks and her laboratory laboratory and um, vitamin D values had normalized within three months. So it's actually a fairly relatively short space of time, actually. And, and what this study was also saying um, was that the runner went on to resume her training program that she had previously been following um, without any pain. So, so what they were saying was she didn't have to go back to the beginning of the training plan. She was able to go back into the training plan where she'd left off um, and, and carried on without any pain and successfully um, completed the, the marathon that she was that she was training. For and and what they found was it was just this lack of vitamin D, therefore um, calcium, that um, had led to had led to this. And apparently, this this author, the author of this paper, whose his name's Marnie Wesner, which 
won't mean much to many people, I'm sure. But, um, you know, he was saying that he's successfully treated many people suffering with shin splints and stress fractures with this 1,500 milligrams of calcium and between 1,000 to 2,000 international units of vitamin D. And clearly that would depend on the individual needs um, without always having to alter the level of training that they're doing or weight bearing exercise, whatever it may be. So it's just sort of including the supplements without changing the training. So I thought that was really interesting. Yeah, it's interesting and really encouraging as well. You know, so if you do have an injury, uh, it doesn't mean that you have to go back to zero. Uh, You can, you know, take on board the the treatment and the supplements and know that you can resume your training program. I think that's a really positive, uh, encouraging message for all of us if, if you are unfortunate enough to have an injury Um, and you know as always we just stress here that it's important to work with a professional to get your vitamin d and calcium needs um tested and checked uh because uh it's important that you get the right level of supplementation um so we always say well we say test then take or test not guess (laughs) you know there's a lot of guessing goes on out there particularly when people are self-medicating with supplements so our mantra is test first uh, and then decide what you need um so and as as with you know we were talking about your body your body gait and your um you know your your needs for shoes change so Mm -hmm. does your need for supplements change so don't take them forever uh keep getting them reviewed um (coughs) excuse me so um just to uh move on karen Mm -hmm. um, we could do with talking about some excuse me i'm gonna have to have a little drink of water here I'm having a difficult day today, aren't I? Arms, <laughs> coughs, everybody. Getting in the way. Definitely. Um, so we, we were thinking about the, the theme of nutrition and particularly the anti-inflammatory diet. And again, that's something that we have covered in the past. Way back in episode 14, we talked about endurance running and the immune system. Uh, and also more recently in episode 56, we talked about heart healthy running and we highlighted the Mediterranean style diet which is you know the gold standard anti-inflammatory food plan and um, we've we've discussed lots of anti-inflammatory nutrients in lots of episodes so uh, we won't go into too much depth but just as a reminder the things that are really uh, helpful and foundational I think really with regards to anti-inflammatory food plans are the essential fatty acids predominantly found in oily fish um, the curcumin element found in turmeric, uh, ginger oil, which is in fresh ginger, bromelain, which is an enzyme found in pineapple, and quercetin, which is found in, in lots of different foods, including onions, apples, cranberries, and black currants. Um, so lots of different things uh, for people to add into their food plan to help with um, inflammation. Yeah, absolutely. I think there are these are all really great food and nutrition approaches in helping prevent the shin splints um, and and just sort of taking these on board and trying to put some of these in, in place may help 
prevent shin splints developing for you. But moving away from nutrition for um, a a minute, a couple of other lifestyle changes that you could make um, maybe, well, we've spoken about working with a professional on sort of gait retraining, actually. So so if somebody has got an imbalance or poor gait, that can actually, through time, um, you you can sort of retrain the the body, the muscles, etc., etc to sort of help correct the the running biomechanics and also I think working with a running coach to ensure that you build up your training slowly and appropriately for your needs and also your individual biomechanic uh, nuances can can help prevent the the shin splints and also consider the train that you're running on regularly could it actually be contributing to the development of um, shin pain on the shin splints or any other sort of pain or injury for that matter. So just things to consider there. And and what I would just like to end on here is that if shin splints do develop, stop running because you're only going to exacerbate the the issue and make it worse. And that could lead to the the stress fracture that you mentioned earlier, Aileen. And rest, make sure you stop running and you rest the the injured area. Change your activity. It doesn't mean to say that you've got to stop doing any activity. Um, Just ensure that the activity you do is less repetitive and non-load bearing. So I'm thinking here maybe of um, swimming. I think swimming is a great sort of recovery and repairing exercise that that not with all injuries, I'm sure there are injuries where you can't swim, but so many injuries that we experience as runners means that we can continue to swim even though we can't run. And finally, just to sort of seek that um, professional support, let them do the diagnosis for you. Don't try and self-diagnose. Um, but do remember that that on a positive note that shin splints are thought to be largely benign and self-limiting, therefore really should resolve fully with that period of rest and sort of good nutrition and taking care of yourself. Oh, it's good to uh, end on a positive note there. Yeah. And uh, as we can see, it's possible to be proactive in preventing the development of shin splints uh, but you just need to be dedicated and focused which of course you know we all are as runners anyway um, but if they do develop it, it's really in your best interest to seek support professional support in in treatment and also in helping uh, minimize the risk of them recurring um, so Karen this brings us to uh, a close so before we um, you know, say goodbye. Uh, could you give us the key takeaways from today's episode? Yes, sure. So, um, just to start off again, and as a reminder, the medical term for shin splints is medial tibial stress syndrome. Um, and shin splints are thought to be exercise induced and cause pain along what is known as this posterior medial tibial border. So that pain being felt on the inside of the shin at the lower end towards the foot. And between 13.6 to 20% of runners are thought to experience shin splints at some point. And it is thought to be more prevalent in middle to long distance runners as well as sprinters. 
Uh, pain is the key symptom, initially being felt at the beginning of the run and disappearing as the run progresses, but then reappearing again following exercise. But as the shin splints worsen, the pain persists during the run, but also for several hours afterwards. And just again, as a as a big reminder, if the shin splints are left unaddressed and untreated, they could develop into a stress fracture, which is a, a more concerning injury. Um, there are many risk factors for the development of shin splints, some of which are within our control and others which are outside of our control. And it's really important to address the ones within our control to sort of help reduce the risk of them developing. So thinking here about weight, body composition, your gait, although this isn't always um um, modifiable, thinking about your training, is it too fast is it too far and also the, the running terrain, are you running on sand, are you running on trails or um, hard tarmac females um, appear to be at increased risk of developing shin splints although the reason for this hasn't been fully determined um, there are many nutritional and lifestyle factors you could consider to prevent the development so for example we spoken about an anti-inflammatory diet and also an optimal intake of the nutrients calcium and vitamin d and then also thinking about weight loss and having your foot and gait analyzed and then finally just as a reminder again and ending on that positive note that if shin splints do occur, it is thought that they are largely benign and self-limiting. Therefore, as long as you rest and take care of yourself and consider your nutrition, they will um, resolve fully um, after a period of time. And that would be it, Aileen. Oh, thanks, Karen. Thanks for ending on a positive note. It gives everybody some uh, encouragement that we don't have to live with shin splints. We can... Uh, we can eradicate them. So that's great. Thanks for another fascinating conversation. And remember, everybody, don't let nutrition be the limiting factor in your running performance. Well, this brings us to the end of another episode of She Runs, Eats, Performs, brought to you by Runners Health Hub, helping female runners to be fitter, faster and stronger. We really hope you've enjoyed listening and you'll join us again soon. In the meantime, we'd be so grateful if you check us out on iTunes and leave a review. And once again, thanks for listening and do let us know if there are any topics you'd like us to cover in future episodes. Bye for now. We'd like to introduce you to our show sponsor, Amazing Jane Activewear for women's changing bodies, recommended as best leggings for running by Women's Fitness Magazine. We think they have everything a female runner needs. First of all, they are high compression to support your legs and bum. They have a deep waistband so they stay up and they don't move about when you run. There's a handy left pocket for your phone and a zip pocket on the waistband, which is great for your cards or a key. They also have a hidden tracker pocket for storing a GPS tracking device, and this is a unique safety feature. All Amazing Jane designs, including tanks and tops, are cut to skim, not cling, giving you confidence to look and feel great and focus on performance. 
Karen and I have been trialing wearing their range for a few months and we can happily recommend them. So if you'd like to try Amazing Jane Active Wear, please use our listeners' special discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases at AmazingJane.com. Amazing Jane ship around the world, so please check their website for details. Thanks again to Amazing Jane Activewear for being our show sponsor and for sharing discount code RHH10 for 10% off all purchases.